This is On the Spectrum Podcast with Nick and Steve. And this is a podcast by autists for autists. Uh, just as a disclaimer up front, uh, we do not presume to be experts in anything whatsoever. Yes, we're going to have some foul language and you may or may not hear things that you agree with or disagree with, but that's up to you to decide how long you listen to the podcast. We'd prefer you listen to the entire thing to get a full concept of who we are and what we're talking about. But if you only listen to it until we say a naughty word, well, that's on you. Dingleberry. So oh, you can you can you can shut it off now. So what are we talking about today, Nicholas? So today's topic, we're going to talk about relationships. This is kind of Ooh. this is kind of a topic that uh, for people on the spectrum, it's kind of a rough topic to talk about because we not only have a hard time getting into relationships, we have a hard time having relationships, maintaining relationships. And in general, we're going to talk about all types of relationships, but probably we're going to focus more so on intimate partner relationships more so than anything else. But we kind of have issues with all relationships, if you will. Uh, folks on the spectrum, just because we have some social issues, let's call them social deficits, if you will, uh, because we don't necessarily walk, talk and act or conceive the world in the same way as other people. Relationships can be very, very hard because any given relationship, any interaction you have with another human being has tendency to involve the other person. And sometimes we're not the best in the world at remembering or being <clears throat> considerate to others. Um, also, not always great at acknowledging or understanding how what we do is going to affect the other person. Um, <clears throat> and also them not understanding our needs and our our issues. Like, um, for instance, in, in intimate relationships, being physically close to people, sometimes mm. people on the spectrum have proximity issues. Like me. Like me. I <clears throat> really have a hard time with people being close to my face. Not just like them putting their hand near my face, which I don't like, but I've always had kind of a little bit of an issue like kissing people and having my face that Luckily close. Luckily for Nick, not many people want to be close to his face. That is a true statement. Uh, no, I have an issue with people being close to my face as well, which... <clears throat> sometimes I can deal with it, especially like if I'm inebriated, it doesn't bother me as much, but oh, valid. Me too. Um, but if I'm not drunk and then somebody's up in my face, I can only deal with it for so long. And then I start to get a little anxious. Yes. I would, I would describe the feeling as anxious as well. Yes. Um, I don't think I really have as much of a issue with people touching other parts of my body or being close to other parts of my body. It depends. Um, but yeah, <clears throat> like I don't mind cuddling or, or being physically close, but I don't like people in my face, especially their hands or their face in my face. So mm, like, yeah, their face is problematic. Um, I, I, on the other hand, I also have <clears throat> issues with just physical proximity to other people like tactile, uh, just in general, like when people touching my skin or, or standing too close to somebody in an elevator is a problem for me. So I actually prefer to be a little bit, further away from people. So actually COVID was a great excuse for me to not stand near people. Also, it was a great time for him because he got to cover his face and no one could see what he actually looked like. Valid, very valid. It was a fashion statement that I wish Nick would continue to adopt. Well, I was thinking about moving to China just so I could wear a mask more often. <laughs> That's right. And that and your obsession with General Sows. So that is, a, that is a true statement. Uh, all right, so first and foremost, uh, why, why don't we say, uh, Steve, are you currently in a relationship with a partner right now? I am. 
So anyone who's listening who's an NT or a neurotypical or not on the spectrum, that's a response you're going to typically find from somebody on the spectrum. They answer exactly what you ask them, and they don't elaborate at all, unlike UNT people who have tendency to elaborate a bit much. Yeah, I mean, if you ask me a question, I'm going to answer the question you asked. Me too. Me too. Which is why my general response when people are like, so, hey, Nick, how do you like what I'm wearing? Okay. I mean, I don't have an opinion. You're the one who chose to wear it. Like, eh. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I think some people that I've dated actually appreciate the honesty. You know, like if um, they ask you if something looks bad and I'll just be like, yeah, that looks like shit. I'll just... <laughs> I, I, I would agree that People have told me that they appreciate the honesty, but then when it, you know, I have too long of a relationship with them or when they're with me for you know months or, or a couple of years, they really don't like the honesty anymore. <clears throat> well, wouldn't you rather your partner tell you if you look ridiculous than to go out in public and look ridiculous? Everybody's going to say, yes, they prefer that. But when the reality sets in, they don't want it. <clears throat> they don't want somebody to tell them they look fat in those jeans. Nobody actually wants that. But they all say, I want my partner to be completely honest with me. No, you really don't. I mean, I have that same issue when it comes to uh, work. There's lots of companies I've worked for. And they'll say, oh, we prefer people to be honest and upfront. We want people who are going to be, you know, going to going to tell us, tell us like it is. And then when you do that, and then the next thing you know, you got a pink slip. Yeah, they don't really want honesty. Nobody truly actually wants real honesty <clears throat> out of anybody. Or when you give them suggestions about how to improve the business, which, yeah. you know, over the years, I've learned like how to do it um, in more subtle ways rather than just telling, hey, what you're doing is fucking stupid. You should do it differently. But I'll <laughs> subtly give them hints about like, hey, um, maybe this might make more sense and try to make them think it's their idea. Or um, tell them my idea, but like just kind of with a softer approach. Uh, I agree. I've learned the same thing over the years. <clears throat> uh, I learned how to be subtle, which again is one of those things that we have a hard time learning. We have a hard time learning subtlety. We have a tendency to be pretty. What what are, what are the words people describe me as? Brash. What what are some of the other ones? They call me brash, upfront, abrasive. Abrasive. That's one of my faves. Um, somebody once described me as Annoying. being combative. You put the come in combative. Oh, <laughs> uh, thank you. Um, so, so, uh, and, to uh, answer the question that Steve did not ask or did not reciprocate. Uh, yes, I also am in a relationship currently as well. Well, we were still talking about me. So I really, cause I thought we were talking generally for a second there, but mm, yeah. Okay. We are. We were, I guess. I don't know. All right. So uh, <clears throat> what, in your opinion, Steve, for you in your life, uh, what have you found to be probably like um, what happens to be a common theme among uh, partner relation, intimate partner relationships for you? Of a difficulty. Um, if you're dating a normal person, when I say normal <laughs> with air quotes. So, okay, okay. Neither, I, to the best of my knowledge, neither one of us have ever dated somebody on the spectrum before. Uh, if they were, I didn't know about it. Right. So, because that's not even a question we would ask. A normie. Um, but in that regard, so what's one of the difficulties that's like a common theme among a lot of your relationships, if not all of them? Um, them thinking that I'm emotionally distant or I have a hard time 
uh, talking about my feelings, which is true. Some, but I, a lot of times it's because I don't really understand how I feel about things. So it takes me a while to process, like to understand how to put into words, whatever I feel. So, or to know what those feelings mean. So you sounded like you were questioning that. And, and the only thing I thought of in that moment when you said <clears throat> that was like, is that really your issue or is it an issue they had that you had to deal with? It's because I don't communicate the way they want me to communicate. So again, that sounds like their problem, not yours. So, you know, if they want you to, I don't know, express love the way that they want you to express it or, um, you know, if you're not, if you're not upfront about your feelings about something <clears throat> or they want you to be emotionally available and you're not able to do that, then they feel like you don't care about them. Well, I had a lot of the same issues um, in, in a very similar way. They wanted me to express emotion and be physical or be affectionate, I should say, their way without taking into consideration that I might do it differently. Uh, granted, yeah. I, I was in my 30s when I figured out the autism piece. And so prior to that, uh, even in teenage years, right, they wanted me to express things a certain way. They wanted me to communicate in a certain way. And I always felt like there was something wrong with me. Like, how I mean, well, there I, is something wrong with you, but yeah, yeah there is. <clears throat> um, I always thought, well, how come I can't? How come I can't do it the way they want me to? Um, and so I, I went through a long number of years thinking there was something wrong with me. Yeah. Uh, opposed to evaluating it from the sense of, well, maybe I was just with the wrong person. Yeah. I mean, I always took it as there's, <clears throat> there must be something wrong with me or I'm just weird. Um, because I figured there, there had to be something wrong with me as to why most of my relationships didn't work out very well. Like why, right. why does, why do, why don't any of my relationships ever work out? Yeah. Um, you know, whatever I wanted from the relationship, I wasn't getting whatever the other person wanted. They clearly weren't getting, and I didn't know what I was doing wrong. Um, <clears throat> I think another thing I was going to mention about, uh, what you said, like that people have a problem with mm -hmm. is, uh, people like us. Mm -hmm. typically need time alone. Right. We need space. Uh, frequently need time alone to tinker, to, to go into dwarf mode, you know? Focus on our fixations. When I say dwarf mode, I mean, you're like in, in fantasy, the dwarfs are usually like builders and oh, tinkers. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, we go into dwarf mode and need to go <clears throat> like build something or read or whatever right. it is that, <clears throat> excuse me, whatever it is that we fixate on. Or even like if, you know, you just want a couple hours to go play a video game and right. space out and like decompress. Yeah. But uh, I think that or, it or uh, desensitize, no, destimulate. Yeah, which with that. people usually, I mean, most people need time alone to do things. So regular people, too. Well, but but I think the difference is that the, the fixation part. Yeah. So like if, if um, <clears throat> you know, I'm into video editing. If I'm working on a video mm -hmm. and I'm spending an hour working on it, I don't like being pulled away from it. So, and it's not because you just said like, uh, uh, they need time too. And you're right. Like NTs need time too, but not as much time as we need. Like we really need time to pull away from everything <clears throat> else in our life, everything else in our world and kind of focus on that thing that settles us. I also find, um, for me, one of the things that's always been very relaxing mm -hmm. or uh, stress, relief stress for me is being outside, like going out into the woods or being somewhere around nature. 
not around people, but around just like trees and animals and plants like that makes me feel comfortable. Like yeah. I would probably be fine if I were to just become a lumberjack and go live in the woods <laughs> in a cabin and just drink disgusting burnt coffee <laughs> from a percolator and chop wood and wear flannel. Burnt coffee, huh? Well, I mean, because if you're Ew. if you're living out in a cabin in the woods, you're probably drinking shitty coffee from like a percolator or I know, something. It's horrible. You, at that point, you really need a friend who roasts coffee. <clears throat> I didn't know what a percolator was like a year or two ago, and I found out what a percolator was. People used to make coffee that way. Yes, they do. And I, one of the things I learned about it is that it burns the coffee because of the way that it right. heats heats it. Right. So you're you're anytime you make coffee in a percolator, you're basically getting burnt coffee. Yes. So yeah, percolating coffee is not a a good way to do coffee. If only people had a friend who roasted their own <clears throat> coffee. So today's episode is being brought to you by Nick's Roasting Shed, where he roasts his own coffee. Yeah. Uh, it seems like it's being used more for podcast than roasting, but. Yo, Bull. Bull, man. I'm in here once a week with you recording this, and I also roast in here once a week. <clears throat> and he gets all of his coffee ethically sourced. Not from, uh, you know, sweatshops and slave farms and sweat sweatshops. Yeah. Okay. People don't get coffee from shops. They get coffee from the ground. You get beans from slave farms in no, South I America. I don't get none of that. I know. Thank God. Um, but yeah, so that, that happens to be one of my kind of uh, fixations, if you will, one of my obsessions, uh, which I think I mentioned in a different episode, but I don't remember. But yeah, there's that. So moving back on to what we were talking about. Um, you say you like being out in the woods. That's actually a thing that causes me a lot of anxiety. A lot of uncomfortableness is being out in the woods, being out in nature. I preferably would be locked in my house all the time. Like if I could make money sitting in my house and not have to leave very often, I'd love it. As well as I actually get more Oh, relaxation, let's call it, or or I get more personal time when I'm out in public and I don't know somebody and I'm just like wandering around a mall or I'm going to an event that is populated by people and I don't know a lot of people and I can just watch. Like that actually brings me a lot of like peace. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't like being in crowded areas. The last time, so I I, I haven't had panic attacks frequently over the last like five or six years, not very often. I used to get them more frequently, um, especially after I quit smoking cigarettes. But the last time I had like a real panic attack was probably when I went to see Clerks 3. And it was in a tiny theater and Kevin Smith was there and Brian O'Halloran was there. That's his name, right? Brian yeah. yeah, Brian O'Halloran was there. And it was the room was like was really hot. It was it wasn't it wasn't in the summer. It was in the fall. So it was kind of cold out. But the, the theater was boiling hot because it was so crowded. Um, and there were so many people there and halfway through the movie, I had a panic attack. I just got up. I felt dizzy. I thought I was going to pass out. I went to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I get dizzy like at, at the urinals peeing and I felt like I was going to fall over, yeah. splash some water on my face and went down to the, uh, the bar and the bartender gave me a free shot of whiskey because I, I told him that I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm just chilling out for a minute. I'm having a panic attack. Uh, because I, you know, everybody's watching the movie and I'm standing in the lobby. So they gave me a shot of a bourbon on the house, which was nice. Mm -hmm. So I had a shot of bourbon kind of calm the nerves a little bit. And then I went back in and finished the movie, but I was probably gone for like 20 minutes and missed like 25 minutes of the movie. 
And by no way are we advocating that drinking alcohol is a valid treatment for anxiety or panic attacks. It's just not a valid form of treatment, but it's an effective one. (laughs) Hey, I didn't say nothing about effectiveness. Anyway, um, so that was the last time. That was just last year. Yeah, that was in like um, September, I think. Yeah, Yeah, something like September when it it was right before it came out in theaters. Yeah. Uh, He was doing a, Kevin Smith was doing a tour. Right. And, um. With Brian O'Halloran and the woman who played his girlfriend, I think in the first in the first Clerks, the the very first Clerks movie. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't think, have any idea who what she the was there. I don't remember her name, but. but she was. I think that was her. Yeah, the the one in the first movie <clears throat> where she said she sucked thirty seven dicks on the parking lot. Yeah, I think that was who was with him. I can't remember now, but it was there was it was Brian O'Halloran, uh, Kevin Smith and her, I believe. Okay. And they were supposed to have uh, Jason Mewes there too, but for some reason he wasn't there. I guess I don't know if it was something came up and he yeah. wasn't able to be on the tour. So, okay. Um, but it it was fun. Besides the panic attack, right? It was actually because they they had this whole scene in the movie where um, uh, uh, Brian's character, uh, no, sorry, uh, J- um, the hell's his name, um. Jason Mewes. No, no, the two clerks. What's the two clerks' names? We have uh, Dante and Randall. Yeah, Randall are the character names. <clears throat> Randall has a heart attack. Yeah, and his real name is Jeff Anderson. Not related to me, but Jeff Anderson. Yeah, he has a, he has a heart attack, and then they have him in the in the uh, in the ER. Yeah, and they're like putting a stint in and all this stuff, and that scene just like I don't like medical stuff like that, so it kind of triggered me. Okay. Uh-huh. Any anything like that, I it creeps me out. Like I don't yeah. like um, in movies where they show people getting a needle or blood taking uh-huh. or when they're like shoving a tube up someone's artery into their heart, like all that stuff kind of like it physically makes me feel ill. Right. So that part in the movie bothered me. And that's when I had the panic attack. Uh, Cause it made me feel uncomfortable. So you had like several triggering moments at the same time, essentially. Yeah. And I felt like I was going to pass out cause I've had panic attacks before, but I actually felt like this was a one that was, so I've had panic attacks that last a long time. Yeah. But I've had ones that are shorter. This was a short one, but it was intense versus right. like a longer one, which is less intense. Yeah. This was like, I feel like I'm going to pass out. <laughs> I got cold. I was sweating. You right. know, when you ever get like, dr- like a cold sweat where you're just drenched and clammy. Yep. Like Not that's what happened. Completely. I was covered uh, in sweat, clammy. My last panic attack was a little more than a year ago or so when I hit that deer and totaled my car. Yeah. Um, that was kind of the last time, but that's kind of like, it's situational based, right? It's very much a situational based. It, it wasn't like a reoccurring kind of thing. The time prior to that, I hadn't had them for years and years and years because I kind of, for the most part, figured out how to control like those moments. Kind of um, manage the, any stress before it becomes a yeah, problem. Exactly. I kind of, you know, new situations or moments as it was starting to arise and I was able to handle it a little bit. But that moment was just a bit too much for me. I think um, another before before that that panic attack. I think the last one I had was when I was in a car with several other people and they were all talking very loudly. Ah, and I had to pull over. Um, at the time, I I, I didn't have any medication or anything because I had I hadn't been on medication for anxiety or anything for a while. So I ended up pulling into this place and and uh, uh, doing a couple shots of whiskey. <laughs> Because I was freaking out and um, yeah, I just, I don't like being in an enclosed space with a bunch of loud people. 
Yeah. So. Yeah. I remember those times. Yeah. Sound can be definitely a, a thing there. So let, let's, let's go back on topic a little bit. Um, thank you for sharing Steve, but let's go back on topic. Um, relationships in jazz. Um, do, do you have a question? And thank you for redirecting me back to looking at my mic when I talk. No, I just noticed that you, you're, uh, we weren't picking up your audio well when you talk sideways. Oh, my bad. My bad. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, I, I lose track of the fact I'm talking on the microphone and talking for a podcast opposed to just talking to Steve. So uh, when it comes to relationships, uh, that was one of your common themes that you said was kind of the communication. Not understanding the, the space. Stuff. And, yeah. Uh, well, um, give, me, give me one more common theme amongst a lot of them. Uh, just not understanding a lot of my behavior. Okay. Like when I say behavior, I just mean certain things that people like us might do that people who aren't like us might not understand. Um, True statement. Like routine. Yeah. Uh, habitual things. Yeah. And the other person might think it's weird or strange or not understand why you get irritated or why it bothers you if right. you if your habits or your routines get interrupted. How about where things are placed? Do you ever have a problem with like, Everything has a place and everything in its place. And people, and when somebody moves something of yours, does that ever kind of, but it doesn't bother me that much. Oh, um, but it, it can, I guess it depends on what it is. Oh, like I have a place for my important things like my keys and my wallet and things like that. Sure. So if those things get moved, then it kind of bothers me. But, um, most other things I'm not like depends yeah well in most of my adult life uh up until um i i got with my current partner um every relationship prior than that like if i put something somewhere that's its place i know i'm gonna find it there i know it's there i, I can feel secure in knowing that it's there nick i cleaned up your t-shirt it was on the floor no that's its place pretty much yeah and that's kind of the reaction yes it's ridiculous and silly and i get it and fuck it shouldn't i shouldn't have clothes on the floor but that's where I put it. That's where I know it is. <clears throat> I know where to find it. Actually, and you know, that kind of stuff bothers me. Now that you mention that, I would say <clears throat> I haven't really had an issue with that in relationships. Oh. But I did have an issue with that when I was growing up with my mom moving my crap around. Yes. So my mother used to, like, if I was at school when I was a kid, or if I was out of the house for a while or at work when I was mm -hmm. a teenager. And I would come home and she would clean my room or, you know, I had my own section of the house. I had like a little living room and kitchen area. Yeah. And if I came home and she moved everything around, that used to stress me the, stress me the fuck out. Where I'd come home and like, she, oh, I cleaned up for you. I'm like, no. Like, why do you, she clean everything, but then I couldn't find anything. And it would drive right. me nuts. I'm like, where the fuck is this? Where the fuck is that? Yeah. Um, I... I was similar with that. Uh, my mom always, oh, before I start talking about my upbringing and my mom, uh, mom, you might want to pause this or let it run. You go to the bathroom, go get something to eat, something else, walk your dog, whatever it is, because I'm not saying I'll say anything bad about you, but I know how you are. Uh, and I'm not saying anything bad about you. It's just an example. My mom used to describe when By I By the way, Nick's mom, it's not too late to consider abortion. <laughs> this is very late term. It's still your choice, but my body, I don't know. Anyway, so um, when I was growing up, my mom described how I was when I was growing up. And she said I was always very neat and tidy. And I would always like clean my room constantly and keep things very ordered when I was a kid. Yeah. And 
I don't necessarily remember that because to me, that's just the way I wanted my room. But she described it as being that way, that I always had an order for everything. And I would always reorder stuff and reorganize things a different way, but it was always very ordered, right? Somehow I became an adult and I lost a lot of that. Not exactly, but I did. And I mean, I can blame it on a whole lot of things. Like for one, I went through a great deal of depression and issues with depression when I was in my teens and 20s. Not unsimilar to other people, but I ended up kind of like losing a lot of that for a while. And it wasn't until uh, I found out I was bipolar and I started taking my meds for bipolar that I really kind of was able to get back to having that organization again. And I was way less chaotic. Yeah. Um, but uh, so at, ha, has that ever come into issue in a relationship for you, whether it be like roommates as friends or intimate partner relationships, like wanting things to be in a certain way? Um, not really moving things like, uh, the, the main issue I had was growing up with my, my parents moving stuff around, mainly my mother, but, uh, I haven't really, none of my, do. uh, my current girlfriend will clean up my stuff sometimes, but most of the time she cleans up stuff and it doesn't bother me. Right. Um, the way she's doing it. And also I just kind of, I'm over it. Like she won't touch anything that's important anyway, but like if there's just something that needs to be neatened up, she'll like neaten it up a bit, but, right. um, so I'd say that hasn't really been a big issue for me, but you, you did make me think about something when you were uh, talking about like your your teenage years. And uh -huh. I, I would say uh, it took me a long time to be able to even have any sort of healthy relationship. I think uh, when I was a teenager, I had this kind of delusional understanding of what a relationship was. And uh, I think a lot of, way? well, I think a lot of teenagers probably don't have a good understanding of what a healthy relationship looks like in general. Well, of but, course not. But um, I, the, the understanding now being older, like looking back, I think some of it was related to being on the spectrum. But I, I had these uh, unrealistic expectations of my partner. So whenever I started dating somebody, I would become mildly obsessed with them and I expected all of their time. Like I expected them to um, be as fixated on me as I was on them. And can anyone relate to that? I can. So I used to get mildly obsessed with people I started dating. And if they didn't give me the same level of attention that I was giving them, I would get upset and not understand why it wasn't being reciprocated because I didn't understand that people need space. And, you know, I didn't understand all that. So I, I had a lot of problems because I would get into these short term relationships with girls that I was dating. And it would go well for like a couple months and then it would just turn to shit. Right. Um, so that was kind of like all of my younger years when I was dating, like, you know, 16 through my mid 20s were just all shitty relationships that I didn't understand how to um, handle being in a relationship with somebody. I didn't understand giving people boundaries. I didn't understand really any of it. I just had all mm. these expectations in my head that didn't match up with reality you know no everything you just described i can agree <clears throat> with now here's my question for you because we are not just autistic people but we are also very highly creative and artistic people and in that artistic regard, and autistic <laughs> we're autists all right i had to say it at least once on the podcast all right so with that being said right do you think it was 
autism per se that caused you to feel that way and get really obsessed with the person? Or do you think maybe it was because we're artistic and we're very highly emotional people and, and we're creative folks? Because that's kind of a way creative folk have tendency to be too. They get highly into somebody very quickly, but then kind of fizzle out with that. I don't know. Uh, I, I used to blame it on um, socialization. I thought maybe I just wasn't socialized well as a kid because I um, I had a lot of acquaintances, but not a lot of close friends. And I spent a lot of time by myself. So then when I started dating, I figured it was just because I didn't understand social relationships very well. But I'm sure that being on the spectrum also played into that. Probably. Uh, I think I was also looking for, I was expecting that, that a girl or a woman would come into my life and kind of uh, fix all of my problems, which is a common thing that young men do. They think that if they're struggling in their life or they have different difficulties or insecurities that they're going to find somebody who's just going to solve all their problems and make their life whole. Do you think that's just a man problem or a male problem? Because with with a lot of the females that I've had in my life that are friends and even uh, previous partners, I've I've heard that quite often that people fall into that weird kind of thinking of, they wanted somebody to help them, fix them, be their support, uh, and in a lot of ways didn't want to do the same for them, but wanted somebody else to kind of do that. I think I was expecting that someone would come into my life and that it would it would develop into a relationship where they would be like family right away. Yeah. I was never super close to most of my family growing up, so mm -hmm. I think I was trying to replace that intimate relationship that I didn't have with people around me with a with a um, romantic relationship. I always felt, uh, and, and for most of my life, and actually there are still times where I feel to this day, that I felt completely disconnected from others, like completely emotionally cut off or, or disconnected. Um, when I was growing up, I felt that way quite a bit. I mean, it's one of the, the longest running emotional feelings that I had from when I was growing up, not just as a kid, but also a teenager in my early 20s, was I always felt disconnected from everyone. And yeah. so when I started becoming of age to wanting a partner uh, and kind of moving forward in life and, and wanting somebody to share my life with, it was really, I was trying to seek somebody I connected with. And granted, I had no idea what the fuck that actually meant. I had no idea what being connected to somebody really meant. And so it was connected in any way possible. And so like, I mean, for a real long time, I went from one person to another seeking whatever connection I could fucking get. I think that when you, if you're looking for the relationship, like if you have this idealistic understanding of what a relationship is or should be, mm. um, you tend not to actually date the person that you're dating. You tend to date an idealized version of them. Very true. They're this, uh, this person in your head that doesn't actually exist that you've made up. And they're not going to live up to the standards that you've set because you have this vision of this person in your head that's not really who they are. Uh, and so you're not actually dating the person themselves, um, which I think is kind of part of what you were saying. So as I got older, I started dating the person in front of me rather than uh, projecting my idealized version of a partner onto them. You know, and creating this made up person in my head of who I thought they should be, who I wanted them to be. Right. And just accepting them for who they are. I mean, I think a lot of people kind of have that that idea you just described of like they're with somebody and they're really dating who they think the person should be or who the person could be opposed to who the person I think there's is. the old stereotype of women trying to change a guy. Yeah. 
Like I think oh, we all do that though. Like you know, they get into. I know, but I'm saying yeah. for the yeah, for yeah, the yeah, sake the of the conversation, you know, yeah. there's a stereotype that a guy dates a woman and then the woman constantly tries to make him into somebody he's not. Right. For right. what they think would make him a better man. Right. Um, not that I'm saying that men don't try to change women either, but it's just, I, I think it's human nature for us to get with somebody and we see a, a, try a to, potential in them and we try to shape them. To I do feel like it's probably more common with women or but, at least that's the stereotype of it. Yeah. But I, I feel like there's some truth to that. Well, I, at least that, in my personal experience yeah. with other seeing relationships that other people have had right. and also my own personal experiences with women. I've never I, I haven't dated women, although I, I did have an idealized version of them, et cetera, sometimes. But I, I never tried to, like, make them change. But I have dated women who have tried to force me to change. Okay. I guarantee if we asked your exes, they would give the conception that you – they thought that you were trying to change them in some way. Because I'll Maybe. tell you I'll tell you from my previous long-term relationships, not the short, you know, three-month, six-month ones that I did at some point, but from a, a lot of my longer-term relationships – I did not feel as if I was trying to change anybody. And I always felt that I was completely <clears throat> accepting of who a human being was that I was with. But when I've talked to some of my exes, they have told me. That's right. That one, uh, she different. told me that you tried to force her to get into Brazilian fart porn. Oh, my just good God. <laughs> None of that is true at all. My God. So like. Even, or the, uh, the, the mild yeah. co- cockophilia. Oh, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> Is it uh, is it coprophilia? Coprophilia is the one where you're like you like poop. Is that what it's called? Coprophilia? I have no idea, but I know that there, <laughs> that is one of the philia. Coprophilia. Um, Nick so, loves poop. So from uh, some of my previous longer term relationships, they <clears throat> they told me they felt like at one point that I was trying to change them. I never felt that way. I never thought I was doing that. I never felt that way. But that's kind of the benefit of somebody outside of our own heads, kind of yeah. giving us an observation. But I did learn from that. Like when I got into my 30s finally and when I was on appropriate meds to control my episode shifts, I got a whole lot clearer of a head. But I also knew a lot more of what I was looking for for a partner. Uh, I mean, in my 20s, I probably bounced around back and forth, back and forth to a lot of people. Um, Granted, the, the first marriage that I had was started in my mid to late 20s. But even when, and and to my ex-wife, if you listen to this, I'm not insulting anything and I take full accountability for everything I'm going to say. So even she describes that she felt as if I was critical, judgmental and trying to change her. I never felt like I was those things really. I mean, once I got that clearer head, being on meds and, and kind of controlling my episodes and stuff, I was able to see a little bit more of like the stronger presence, let's call it, of me. Uh, trying to influence things, but I never really at the time felt like I was trying to change anybody. But I mean, now with my my current relationship that I've been in for five years, um, I, I avoid that, like the play so, now, but I also have a much better understanding. Think, if you're listening and you're on the spectrum, uh, it's very important to find a partner who's going to be understanding, which very I'm sure Nick, so. Nick can talk about in just a moment. But if you're listening on Spotify, leave a comment. Tell us about your experiences you've had in relationships. Or if you've dated someone who's on the spectrum, tell us about your experiences dating that person. And just leave it in the comments. Uh, I don't think you can leave comments on the other platforms we're on at the moment, but I know on Spotify, you can leave a comment. So and tell us YouTube. about it. We want to hear. And on YouTube. and Well, on YouTube. If you're listening on YouTube, 
Also, um, leave a comment. Tell us about your experiences with relationships. Oh, and on Facebook. And and we don't post them on Facebook. Oh. Yeah. So I mean, maybe I should ones. now that you mentioned it. Well, I guess. Like, All right. Yeah, I guess. So, Thanks, Nick. Um, any platform you're listening to this on and you're able to put a comment, please let us know if you agree or disagree with things we're talking about. If you have a question about anything we're talking about, if you'd like to say that we're doing well or doing not, we really need that kind of feedback. But also, if there's a topic you want us to talk about in any future episode. Oh, this just in um, Big Cock 69 says trash. <laughs> It's our first oh, comment. Yeah. Um, if uh, there's a topic you'd like us to cover, or if you just want to hear us babble about whatever the hell, uh, please put that in comments as well. We will read them. We will get back to you as soon as we can. And yes, it will actually be me or Steve that is going to yeah, be we're responding not to you. Always going to talk about topics that are this serious, but I thought it was important to talk about relationships because that's one of the biggest struggles for people who are on the spectrum. Is so. Relationships with other people. So we can't have a podcast about autism and not talk about relationship struggles. And I'm sure some of that, the relationship struggles that we we, we talk about, it may trickle into other episodes when we talk about other things because oh, that's yeah. always going to be a factor in anything we do with other human beings unless... And in fact, I was going to say unless you're dealing with other aut autistic people, but sometimes it's harder dealing with other autists than it is dealing with normies. So case in point, me and Steve have been friends for five and a half, roughly six nope. years. Uh, more it, than that, almost seven. Almost seven. Almost seven yeah. years now we've been friends and we've been working together in an improv sketch comedy group and now we're doing this podcast together. And uh, yeah, I think we <clears> can <throat> both agree and attest to the fact that sometimes, and excuse the language, our autism gets in the effing way. Why am I well, censoring effing that? I've said fuck like seven times on this podcast already so and now I'm at censoring myself? I think normies have a hard time understanding us sometimes, but- Somebody uh, if you think normies that. have a hard time understanding Yo, this. you keep saying normies and somebody's going to put in the comments, how the fuck dare you say they're normal? Whatever. Hold Neurotypical on. people have Hold a hard time understanding us. Hold on. I want you to finish what you're saying, but I want to make sure I'm specifying that when we use the word normal, what we mean by it is not what you heard. What we mean by it is what happens most often, which by the way is Listen, I don't have a time. To, I don't normal. have time to explain every time I use a word what the context is. I will totally give context to other people to like censor myself. When I say normie, no, no. I mean a person who's not autistic. Yeah, you don't need to censor yourself at all, Steve. I will explain it to people because right. somebody needs so, to translate to the normal people. When you're talking to a neurotypical person, they have a hard time understanding us sometimes, frequently. Um, less as you get older, if you're like Nick and I, I think we we're able to navigate conversations much easier than when we were younger. Much, However, much, much. when you're dealing with somebody else who's on the spectrum, which I've, I have a few friends that I've, I've spoken to and, uh, um, also dealing with Nick over the years, uh, we have a tendency to misunderstand each other probably more than talking to a neurotypical person, or at least, uh, calling out the fact that we don't understand each other. Because Nick yes. will use certain words and say things a certain way. And I'm like, what the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> or I think that he's saying something that he's not and vice versa. And, and usually that comes in the perception department, right? Uh, yeah. Or sometimes I am purposely trying to be a dick to you. But usually yeah, when I'm trying yeah, to be too. a dick to you, it's because yeah. I think that you're trying to be a dick to me. So Yeah. And sometimes we misread the dickness 
that yeah. we're no, that's not a word. So the I'll, I'll think that Nick is doing. trying to be a dick to me, but he's not. So then I'm a dick back to him. Then he's like, why is he being a dick to me? Right. And then, we and then go he's back a dick forth. back again. Yeah. And then it's a back and forth of like, who's the biggest dick? Yeah. Uh, and it's because of one of us misunderstood the other person to right. begin with. So, so <clears throat> I'm only 42, but I like to describe myself as being a 65 year old man who's just crotchety and, and fucking grumpy. Because I'm not a big fan of texting. I, I don't like reading things on a screen because it lacks tonality. It lacks context. I'm not sure how the person's actually saying it. So I actually have a hard time reading things on Facebook Messenger for that reason, especially because I have to try to translate, especially when I'm talking to a oh, appropriate term, neuronormative uh, person. Normie. Yeah, normie. Uh, when I'm talking to a normie, I have tendency to read it, but I have to translate it, if you will, to what I think they're talking about in the normal way. He has autistic Google Translate. Yeah. And when I'm talking to Steve, sometimes I forget that I don't have to do that. So I end up translating to normal, translating back to autistic and still going, what the fuck did you just say? And, but I personally don't oh, yeah, like- People that. will sometimes assume that there's some type of uh, subtext to what you're saying. Well, but because there's not for normal people. Because typically, not always, not always, because I know how to be, I know how to be um, like sarcastic or be a jerk if I want to be and be a little subtle. But most of the time when somebody's asking me a question or I'm saying something to somebody, you can take it on face value because I'm usually not. Oh, you mean when you're talking to them? Yes. Oh, okay. I thought you meant when they're talking. No, normal <clears throat> no, I'm people saying are usually way subtle. They don't ever really people read more into my words than's actually than's actually there. So it's got yeah. me into trouble a lot when I was younger. But now that I'm older, it's another one of those things where I've learned to like try to avoid saying things a certain way because people are going to misinterpret it uh, and not take it at face value. Right. Uh, when I when I was younger, I had a horrible time being subtle. You're actually far <clears throat> more subtle than I am. You you are way more capable of being subtle than I am. When I was younger, I had even harder of a time being socially appropriate, being PC, being subtle about things. I mean, I still struggle with some of that stuff now in conversations, but it's not as bad as it used to be. Um, it used to be bad to the point of like, I would ask people why about something because I was curious, but they took it as me challenging them as a human being or, or saying that they're dumb or something. And really yeah. it was just a matter of I was curious for their perception of something. Trying to understand. Yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> so how did you find dating? Like, uh, I know I've used online dating services before. I know you've used them before. How did you <clears throat> find that experience being online dating? Yeah. How did you find online um, dating? I online dating, dating services, didn't I? As I've if never like used, we're recording video. Uh, I've never used tapes. like a dating service. I mean, I've used online no, you dating. You did online past, dating. But, I'm sorry. Uh, Again, I'm a 65 year old crotchety old man okay i said dating services if it's 1984 my experience online video. dating is a dumpster fire <laughs> and i think it's a dumpster fire for everyone not just people like us yeah. there's, there's, there's certain things that are probably more difficult than for us than for neurotypical people mm. however i would say for everybody it's a dumpster fire and that's because typically on dating sites mm -hmm. the first thing that you're judged on and the first thing that you can you don't have a lot to go on mm. so you're judging people mostly based on appearance uh you yes. can read their profile you can read their bio but ultimately like if you're scrolling through people's profiles you're going to be interested 
only in looks. And so, I mean, physical attraction is something that's important to everybody. Yeah, but there's yes, a lot that is that is lacking right. through looking at pictures or um, a lot of people who are maybe um, a five on a dating app or a four or a three in a dating app. Really, we're going to go with a rating I'm system? just using a number system because it's easy to... Yeah, because it's pragmatic <clears throat> and practical and that's what uh, it's people easy like to, us are. To, to make the point, if I, yes, I phrase know, it that way. But if they if you meet them in person, they might be a, a five in person might be a seven because right. their personality adds a lot to their physical attractiveness. Yes, uh, very much so. A woman who is average looking, mm -hmm. and I'm saying average looking, whatever. Fuck you. So basically, I'm saying average looking like to our attractiveness. If most if most men would rate her as being average, right, right. Uh, the majority of men would find her av average on the on, a, on an imaginary attractiveness scale, right? So she was a five, but she might be a lot more attractive in person because of her personality. Mm -hmm. um, all of those things are lost in a dating app. And so it becomes basically like a, a shallow clusterfuck dumpster fire. And that's, that's what I didn't really like about online dating is um, it's just uh, it's shallow and dehumanizing in a way. Uh, I agree in a way. Um, I always had issues when it came to because of my, well, dislike of typing, right? And you do a lot of typing when it comes to communication on dating sites is I'm very pragmatic and very practical when I talk to people. I'm very direct and to the point, very succinct when I type. And so when I was asking people questions, there wasn't a lot of chit chat. There wasn't a lot of surface conversation. It was direct and to the point of like, well, here are the, the subjects we need to talk about beforehand. Here's the things we, we need to know about each other up front. And so, yes, I'm also a male. So a lot of my conversations sometimes lend, leaned into talking about, are we sexually compatible, right? And a lot of women were so used to that from other guys just only wanting sex, but it wasn't the only thing I wanted. I mean, but sex is important. And so I would ask them questions about like, how many kids do they have? How many kids do they want to have? What kind of job do they have? What do they want to aspire to in life? And what pre preferences like, bro, do they you're have? Too serious. I don't even know you. Yeah, and so I've always been accused of that of being too quote unquote intense up front. But it was really more a matter of getting to the point. Well, well certain people are like that. They other. don't want to like they don't want to waste their time investing investing time or money or dates into somebody if it's not going to go anywhere. Right. So I just asked all that shit up so front. So like if you if you know up front that somebody doesn't want kids and you want kids, then why are you going to waste time mm -hmm. dating? Well, if they're on the fence and maybe they could be convinced, that's one thing. But if they absolutely don't want kids, then like, why are you going to waste time with that? Right. Exactly. exactly. I, I wanted to ask something that is uh, not directly related to the topic, but I think it affects the topic. Okay. Rock and roll. And I have something that I, I read about last week. So I was recently um, let go from a job. And part of that has to do with. Say it in the, say it in the non-subtle nice way. Fired? I don't know. Yeah, that's right. I was fired. Right. Steve was and fucking fired. And I wasn't given a reason. And I was reading about, well, there's two, two things, but um, I was reading that people on the spectrum often get terminated from jobs without any sort of explanation given. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times jobs will just say things like, oh, well, we just don't think you're the right fit or we don't think you're right. a good fit. And it was funny that I was reading that. And this was a blog, uh, an article written by somebody who's on the spectrum. And it was funny because that was the explanation that was given to me, even though I had been given a... Uh, performance-based raise and right. all these other things. But all of a sudden, I was let go out of nowhere without any reason given. Um, part of that, this is related to what I was going to say, is 
a lot of times when, when people on the spectrum are faced with things like that, I was reading, I don't know if this is true. I can say it's kind of true for me. I don't know. I can't speak for you, but people on the spectrum tend to have a strong sense of justice. Yes. And or we have a strong sense of what we believe to be right. And with the strong sense of justice, meaning like we get very upset if somebody does something wrong to us. Right. Or like, let's say that we have um, people on the spectrum tend to try to be honest or they try to do the right thing. This right. doesn't mean that there's no autistic people who are shitty people. But when somebody wrongs us or breaks the law, a lot of us tend to have a problem with it. And part of that, this is related to it as well, is that a lot of people on the spectrum tend to fall into black and white thinking. Yes. And I wanted to hear what you think about that. The, my opinion about us falling into black and white thinking? Yeah, and that also is related to the strong sense of justice because yes. of the black and white thinking plays into that. And also, yeah. um, well, if you want to talk strong. about the me being fired thing, you can, but I was no, no. mostly bringing it up no, because no. The, the reason why this person wrote a article, an article about it is because they were obsessed with with the event that happened because they felt like they were wrong. Right. And so she was talking about um, the strong sense of justice that she feels. And a lot of people on the spectrum feel this, this intense need to fix a perceived wrong when somebody does something terrible to them. Yeah, I, uh, I agree with you. Um, we do have tendency to have black and white thinking, which is a cognitive distortion. We do have tendency to fall onto black and white thinking more so than others. And our sense of it happens to be very, very strong. For the morons out there, can yes. you explain what black and white thinking means? Oh, so uh, black and white thinking is the old name of what they now call all or nothing thinking. Um, and it's usually listed as the first cognitive distortion, not ranked in order, but just the first one most people talk about of all or nothing thinking. So it's either one thing or the other. Okay, in one way or the other. So like when Steve's talking about strong sense of justice or a strong sense of right and wrong, it's more about the perception that we carry of something being right or wrong. And a lot of the times that right and wrong is based only on our perception, not necessarily like a social moral concept of right or wrong or like whether something's legal or not. But a lot of the times it has tendency to be our version of it. So when we have a strong sense of being wronged, it could just be wronged against what we feel is the right way. I've also felt that same way about other people. So for instance, um, I mean, we're when, not the only ones who have black and white thinking. No, no. But when I was growing up, yeah. um, people who used to get bullied, mm -hmm. I would often find myself getting into fights, defending people who were getting beat up or bullied. So I would oh. step in and defend them because I felt like it was wrong. Oh, and I felt so strongly about it that I would get myself into fights because I was defending people who were being bullied. I just got really agitated and got really like, <clears throat> pissy. Yeah. And angry sounding. Uh, to me, I had this, this sense of justice where I felt like I couldn't just let mm -hmm. these other kids be picked on and not do anything about it. So I'd find myself getting into fights all the time. I, I always kind of left it of if they have such a problem with it, they should do something about it. So I kind of left it to them to be responsible for how other people treated them. I guess. Okay. Maybe, maybe I'm just, I'm carrying dick for that, but I'll take it. Well, that's what I say. The strong sense of justice for me personally was always, it's not just like if, if a wrong is done to me, but mm -hmm. if I see a wrong being done to someone else too, yeah. I feel compelled that I have to do something about it. Well, I feel that way now. Uh, when I was younger, like I said, I always felt detached from other people. And so that sense of like, well, somebody else is being bullied by somebody. I was like, well, they should fucking do something about it then. They should stand up for themselves. And related back to work, 
I've had problems with companies I've worked for because if I see them mistreating employees, right? And I've I've worked in a lot of positions where I was part of management, yeah, or I was part of operations. It was a higher up position, and when I see people above me, higher up in the company, like mm -hmm. a vice president or something like that, mistreating people, mm -hmm. then it makes me not want to work there because I'm like, I I can't condone this. I don't agree with this. Oh, yeah. Well, I never thought about that much. Um, I like when I was a manager all the time, um, when I was younger and I was doing management in retail, uh, when somebody disliked something that was happening or the way I worded something, I was always like, well, go get another fucking job then. There's just, there's jobs out there. Go get another shitty retail job then. I don't give a fuck. I think that was, would have been my approach. Uh, when I was first a manager, it was kind of like, right. it's either my way or the highway, yes. which is how I used to treat people. But I've changed over the years as I learned more about how to um, effectively lead people. So when I was younger, I felt that way very, very strongly when it came to managerial or supervisory kind of roles. Um, and in my own personal life, when I was younger, I didn't act that way. But now it's kind of the opposite of I, now I, in my life. If you don't like the way I do things, then don't be in my life. One of my first, actually, it was two of my first manager roles. Yeah, I got into fights. I got into a fight with, with an employee once. A verbal fight? One of them was verbal. One was almost physical. So still somebody verbal. stopped. Yeah, somebody stopped us from actually physically fighting. Okay. Um, <clears throat> but it was probably me who was the problem in both situations. But yeah. I didn't see it that way at the time. Right. Um, I thought I was trying to help and make things better, when in reality I was being a little tyrant, and I didn't understand <laughs> at the time. Uh, I so like for instance, when I was a teenager, I worked at Dunkin' Donuts. And I remember this older woman who worked for us mm -hmm. and everybody had kind of their role that they would do. You know, if you worked at the drive through window or if you worked making sandwiches and bagels, right. if you made the coffees, everybody kind of like filled a certain role. Yep. And I started forcing people to switch roles because I wanted them to get better at the things they weren't as good at. Oh. So when I started switching them around, um, See, they, the some of them approach. got really pissed at me because I was switching them around yeah. and Maybe it was also because of when I was doing it. Like maybe it's not a good idea to switch everybody up in the middle of a rush in the morning or something like that. Yeah, they're, they're, Us yeah. asking people to switch roles. Yeah. And the old, one of the older lady who worked like started screaming at me and got into a fight. And uh -huh. then my boss at the time ended up sending her home because she, she yelled at me. Would and you, I felt bad because I was probably just being a little dick. Well, so. nowadays, would you refer to that older woman as being a Karen? Um, well, maybe. Maybe. Okay. I don't know. See, she, I did, she did used to buy me uh, alcohol when oh, I was underage. Well, there you go. So, <laughs> maybe not a kid. I used to give her money and she'd go over and get me a, a mm -hmm. handle of Captain. Back uh, then, they used to drink rum and Cokes when I was see, 18. I, I used to always manage people in the opposite way, which was um, you know your role, do your <clears> job, <throat> and just do that. And I never understood why anybody was like, they wanted to learn more or why they were uncomfortable. I wanted to try to help thing. people get better at the things they weren't as good at. I didn't give a shit as long as they did their job. So my, my reasoning was, and this was stupid because it was just, you know, Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah. But I thought that uh, there's going to be times where somebody's going to call out or mm -hmm. somebody's not going to be available. And I wanted people to be able to fill any role if they had to. See, I never really thought about it in that way. I probably should have. But I was thinking more along the lines of <clears throat> we have somebody to do that job. Which is which is good. If you have somebody who's really good at one thing, but yeah. then if they're not there, then you're right. screwed. And, and I, I got to that thinking eventually, but it was more about like, and it was a very pragmatic way of thinking about it. This person does drive through. And that's yeah. where the thinking stopped. That person does it. They're good at it. They should do it, right? 
Um, and, and I always think about it like, I, I would use the expression a lot, kind of like the rock, know your role, right? And, uh, and yes, I used to watch wrestling and I still Mine's do. a baguette. And know your role on a regular basis, right? Do your job, just do your job. Show up, <clears throat> shut, uh, show up, shut up, do your job. That's the way I behaved on a regular basis, right? It was that kind of rigidity, if you will, right? That kind of harshness as a manager. And when I got older, I started to realize exactly what you're talking about, which is people might be dissatisfied with that one position that they have. Maybe they want to learn more stuff. And also to cover all of the inevitabilities or the variabilities of people calling out, everybody should kind of know a piece of each other's jobs. Yeah. But I was very finite about it. But that was part of that black and white thinking you're talking about. Yeah, I, I brought it up because, like I said, I'd read about yeah. it. I've been reading a lot about people who, had, who have had similar experiences. Right that I had because recently um, being let go in the position that I was in, it came as a surprise to me because usually in the past when I've been, if I've been fired, you know, um, I knew it was coming because I was doing, I had been spoke, you know, people had spoken to me beforehand and said, Hey, you know, we need you to do this or that. But this particular place didn't give me any warning, no write-ups, never gave me any sort of like, never tried to develop or coach me or tell me that I was doing something wrong. So if they had a reason why they were, going to let me go which they didn't give me a reason although right i can't get into it because there are legal implications but i think i know the reason why you know you could have just said i don't want to get into it right now yeah anyway um the point is is that they never if you're gonna if 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 you're gonna do that type of thing like i would expect more out of somebody um in a leadership role to try to actually take the time to develop somebody or correct the behaviors that you don't like I got you. Um, I, especially when I was younger, I can't exactly say that my interactions with people on the job or, or being let go had something to do with, you know, being autistic or the way I dealt with people because I also had that undiagnosed bipolar piece. So I, I like, I was once let go from a job or rather, let me rephrase. I was talked to about my behavior at a job. But it was, I, can't, I couldn't discern the difference between the two now looking back on it because I was also undiagnosed bipolar. So I had my days where I was horribly manic and I was all over the place and I wasn't getting anything really all that done, but I was goofy and energetic and wild. And then there were other days where I could barely get out of bed. And so I'd call out of work. And so I don't know if it's one or the other. And I don't know if the way I communicated to people was appropriate, but I couldn't tell you which one it was, which one was more in control at that moment right um but i can tell you that like i completely understand what you're talking about and to relate it back to our topic yes that kind of has tendency to be an issue in general i would think with a lot of autistic folk that they feel they're doing well and they're trying to do their best but somebody else just perceives them the wrong way or like you're sending emails to people and they misinterpret what you're saying and then they think you're an asshole Because ultimately we talk. And then you're a problem or maybe you're not as engaged during like company meetings or whatever. And like, why is he such or uh, a a common one I heard Uh when I was reading um, the article by the same girl. She was mentioning like female, the woman, sorry, woman, the, the, the water cooler type conversations, not being involved in that kind of stuff. And then people think that you, you think you're better than them (laughs) or yeah. Oh, like they're too good to engage in small talk. (laughs) Isn't that an amazing thing that normal yeah. people fucking do? They immediately try to interpret our behavior as we think we're better than them or 
we feel like we know more than they because do. you don't want to sit around and chit chat around the water fountain right just because we don't want to engage in fucking superficial idle conversation i don't give a shit who won the super bowl ever like even if i watch football and at times i've watched football i'm a big fan of the carolina panthers but i never got into who played white something you'll never hear again from anyone uh, ever. <laughs> yeah pretty much <clears throat> like yes i like watching football but like i don't actually give a shit who won or lost the fucking game nick Huh? Nick, I think we need to get a little bit more intimate. So we before we before we end the, the show tonight, we need to talk about sex. Oh, oh! So we're going to shift drastically. Well, All we're right. talking about relationships. Well, we, we need are. to talk You're about. Right. We should talk about it. physical intimacy. We touched on proximity. Uh huh. But I thought it would be fun if I just asked you about your experiences with sex. Well, I mean, I don't worry about the time. I see you looking at the clock. No, I keep looking at the clock because, okay, so to explain to everybody. Nick is staring at the clock. I mean, very, I am very time sensitive, if you will. I'm very time specific about a lot of things. I time a lot of things in my life, okay? And so when it comes to this podcast, we said each episode was going to be an hour long. And so I really, I don't think I agreed to that. Let's just, let's just go. I mean, that's your conception, but I have to have time for, I have to have boundaries and limits. If we go for an hour and a half, that's fine. Okay, fine. So I'm trying to shift gears to not pay attention to time now. Anyway, I'm a very time oriented person. Ladies and gentlemen, autism speaks. Yeah. Okay. So that's one of my things is time. All right. So anyway, you want to shift to talk. We don't have to talk about sex for a long time. I mean, if we're talking about your sex life, the conversation is going to be short anyway. Damn. He threw a joke in there with that. I'm kidding. Actually, I think Nick's had a lot of partners. So. Wow, you went from calling me a minute man to calling me a slut in like two seconds. And I will not disagree. I have had a lot of partners. Some of that has to do with me and some of that has to do with being disappointing in bed. But then again, uh, so yes, let's let's talk about that because honestly, from all podcasts that I've listened to about people talking about being on the spectrum or rather uh, not podcasts, but like watching YouTube like, shorts or videos and stuff and people talking about, they don't really talk about that. Very often. I mean, maybe there is somebody who does and they're like, you had jackasses. I covered that two weeks ago. Don't care if you did or not. I don't actually listen to your shit all that well. But you're right. They don't really cover that very much. And that is probably something to talk about is sex is to talk about intimacy or rather because I don't even like associating sex and intimacy. I think intimacy can be had and to be found and can be experienced without getting naked. So what do you find to be the the hardest part about sexual interactions uh, as related to being on the spectrum or maybe you have no problems maybe it's fine for you no no i've had is a, it just the hardest part is getting them in bed to begin with or um what well, actually i can go on both of those actually so have you ever had and you answer yes or no i'm gonna start off with a question uh and then i'll tell you and answer your question at the same time have have you ever found and i lost my own question hold on um, <coughs> yeah, I lost it completely. I lost what question I was going to ask. So cool. say, say your thing again so I can try to maybe trigger what the fuck I, I was, was gonna say. asking you what you thought was the hardest thing about having sex with somebody or, or intercourse in general. Or getting them into it. Or okay. sexual interaction doesn't right. matter, any, any part of it, but any, any um, sensual, sexual interaction, what's the hardest part about that as related to 
being autistic okay. or if you don't have any problems at all? Uh, no, absolutely had problems. Um, one, of, one of the issues I would say is, and I, I still haven't gotten the question that I was going to ask. I was going to start off with that. And I thought it was a nice way to word into it, but whatever. Um, one, one issue I always had was, or at least from my perception of things, was I was super into things. I really wanted to go forward. And it seemed like the other person wanted to. And it felt like the other person wanted to. And we ended up doing stuff. But it was always the pacing of it, let's say. Um, I was always, and it could be for a bunch of reasons. It might not have anything to do with autism. So what you're saying is that you don't like foreplay. So I'm not saying I dislike, because I do like foreplay. It's just, I'd rather get down to it. Right. If we're gonna if we're going to engage in sexual behavior, all right, fuck it, let's get down to it. Let's do our thing. You don't like to uh, to be a bird, <clears throat> flashing your feathers and doing a little dance before you mate. So, I guess I just have a different version of that, or at yeah. least I used to have a different version of that. Again, when I was undiagnosed bipolar and I was just existing in my phase in my episodes, when I was manic. It was all about get down and get quick, right? Uh, but when I was depressed, it was like, oh, thank you for showing me any kind of acceptance. Thank you for wanting me in any way whatsoever. I think um, one thing that might be easier for you or for both of us as we get older is <clears throat> dating older women. You don't have as many of those issues, I would think. <laughs> like when you're dating younger women or dating younger people in general, that there's more... Uh, there's, there's more, there's more that needs to go into it. Like there's more of a game back and forth, more chasing each other. So I, whereas I think with an older woman, they typically know what they want or they're not afraid to just get into it if they want to be intimate. Well, I actually have more experience dating people who are my age or older and, and, <clears throat> you know, being intimate with people who are my age or older more so than younger. Uh, in fact, I've never been a huge fan of like dating or even screwing around with people who are too much younger than me. Um, so you're not Leonardo DiCaprio? No, I'm not Leo by any means. Um, like I, I mean, just, or R. Thinking, Kelly. just thinking about it for a minute, like I'm, I'm pretty sure that I've always kind of followed the three, three year rule, right? Like never get involved with, or never screw around with somebody who is more or less than three years from you. Um, I have my moments where there are people older than me that I messed around with. Like when I was 19, I had a two-year relationship with somebody who was 24 to begin with. Uh, and so by the end of the relationship, they were 26. Um, uh, my ex-wife is So what my you're age. telling me is you were groomed. I mean, if I was 12 and they were whatever the fuck age they were. Uh, yeah, that would be grooming, I guess. What about the, the physical part of sex? Uh, so the physical part. Again, going back to that touching the face thing, kissing has always been a problem for me. I've, I've always had a problem kissing. So it, that's why you prefer anal because it, you don't have to make eye contact and you can avoid the kissing. Okay, so it's not necessarily eye contact, but it is <laughs> eye contact. It's, also it's brown eye contact. <laughs> it's also the proximity to the face. Like I do have yeah. a problem open mouth kissing somebody. Like my current partner has an understanding of this. So we will peck on the lips uh, or she'll kiss me on the cheek or she'll kiss me on the forehead. She kisses me on my ear, but I fucking hate that. The fucking sound of it in my ear and it's fucking agitating. Anyway. Oh, I used to date a girl who would uh, make this like, I don't know. She would do something like a peck or 
something in my ear right that was so loud it like made my eardrum pop and right. i'm like can you not do that right but that's that's that's, that's what but she would do it anyway did for a while. and then i would do it to her and she's like i don't see what what the problem is i'm like well of course they don't because they don't have fucking sensory issues all right so and you can probably hear the agitation in my voice because it's always been a, an issue so the right, that's a common response thing. to any any problems we have when you're dating somebody <laughs> Is I don't see what the problem is. Yeah. Like, yeah, because you're not me. You yeah, don't get yeah. it. You, you and they keep doing head. it anyway. Yeah. Because it's not a problem to them and they don't understand. It's like, hey, you know, can you not do that? Oh, I'm just going to keep doing it. I told okay. you I got an issue with it. Why don't we leave it there? And then some of my partners hey, have always not be in my face. Like, well, I don't like it when you blah, but you keep doing it. You just told me to stop being me. Like, what the fuck? Anyway, you asked about uh, being intimate. The physical part. Yeah, the physical part. Like the kissing part has always been kind of an issue. And that's come into conflict because I'll start dating somebody. I like being with them and whatnot. But they're like, you never really kiss me. Well, no shit. I got a fucking problem with it. But they had a pro. They thought I wasn't being as affectionate or they thought I wasn't being as intimate because I didn't open mouth kiss them. Well, for one, I've never really had the greatest oral hygiene ever. For whatever reason you want to call it, I've never been great at brushing my teeth regularly. Okay? To be honest with you, I still struggle with it to this day. Nice. And everybody who's ever met me fucking knows that, right? But I mean, I've gotten much better at it now, not to try to defend myself, but I have gotten much better at brushing my teeth regularly now. Um and trying to take care of myself hygiene-wise better now. But when I was younger, in my 20s, I I wasn't very good at it, so I was self-conscious about that. And I thought that's the only reason why I didn't want people near my face. I really did. For the longest time, I thought that was the only reason why is because I was kind of shitty at taking care of myself. But once again, once I got a little bit clearer of mind and I, I got on my meds and I went through therapy, I started to come to the understanding that it was literally the proximity. And maybe that's why I did certain things hygienically. I didn't take care of myself very well because I was giving myself the excuse to step away. I was giving myself the excuse to not be around them or making them not want to be near me because of that. Nick, I understand all of that. But what about that dick, though? <laughs> I need to hear okay. about your penetration okay. story. So, okay, you <laughs> want to hear my penetration story? <laughs> Sorry, I can't assume that you're the one doing the penetrating. So You, you can't assume that, actually, yeah, for okay. me, no. Uh, so, uh, when it comes to things like that. You have here any problems is, with the physical act here, of sex. Here is an honest-to-God statement out of me. No matter what penetration, me into someone or me getting from somebody else, it's icky and it's gross. No matter if it's a male or a female. I don't know why I have that opinion, but there's always a hesitation for me. Well, granted, <laughs> granted, I like the act of sex. I like the act of an orgasm or the action of it or the feeling of it. But it's just that initial thought process of like, I'm touching somebody's wet parts that always. Feels I wish a I had weird. a soundboard right now. You would, you would, you would like, add, like a radio, like a shitty sounds. radio yes. host, like yes. with the sound effects. You, you would do some like really, boing, rather boing, disgusting boing. <laughs> fucking sounds. You would. Uh, and I don't disagree. You probably, we should probably. Yeah, I could add some in post if I really wanted to, but God. I didn't think it was that kind of show. You really would. I like it just too. to be unedited, just spewing raw shit out of her mouth. Genuine. Yeah. yeah. As um, raw as all of the people Nick's fucked. So. I mean, that's for the most part, that's not a. He's a big fan of raw dogging it. That's really not a horrible assessment, actually. Um, Speaking of raw dogs, Nick also likes to eat cold hot dogs. I do. I do like hot dogs. 
Well, I mean, you like to point what was that out thing that, that you, you, I also enjoy men, so no what was shit, that thing I like that you, tubular you, meat, all right? I found out um, not so long ago that you will, something disgusting, you'll just like throw a hot dog, like. It's not disgusting. I will put, <laughs> I will take four hot, four or five hot dogs oh, out God. of a package, put them on a plate. I will put two pieces of cheese across them. I will put them in the microwave for two minutes and I will add. How are you still alive? <laughs> I don't like how does someone survive on a diet like that? You must have like ass cancer. I, I you must have to, undiagnosed colon cancer. Well, I used to eat it like that on a regular. All basis. that processed meat. <laughs> well, There's yeah. probably like a, a tumor the size of my fist in your colon. No, I honestly. Which you last, wouldn't know because when you get fisted, it's yeah, just yeah. it feels like the I've lump that's already been there. fisted. Thank you very much. All right. So. Uh, when it comes to that food product, um, I, I, I don't know. I just like eating fucking hot dogs. All right. Um, large amounts of them actually, but, uh, I've always eaten that. Like, and according to my doctor, last time I saw my doctor right before COVID, my doctor said I was fine. Like I had I no just, major health issues. I've never, I've never, uh, liked hot dogs just because they, they tend to give me a stomach ache. They tend to give me like a sour stomach. Uh-huh. But pretty much any processed meat does. Like any uh-huh. like highly processed meat gives me stomach ache. Yeah, I, I don't have that problem. <clears throat> um, so okay, if, so if we're going to wrap up. No, we don't have to. We're still, I thought we were oh. still talking. That's out. Dude, I am we the can. only one who talked okay, about before we wrap activities. up. Before we wrap up today, though, I want to tell you a joke. A very okay. inappropriate joke <clears throat> before we end. So we can still continue. But before Great. we end, I want to tell you an inappropriate joke to lighten the mood because we've We've had a mostly serious discussion today. Really? Yeah. Besides yeah. me talking about your fucked up hot dog eating. And other jokes that we've said along the way. It's mostly me making fun of you. Yes. Yeah. But, Isn't that how we prepare for every show we do? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Before every single improv show we've ever well, done. I would promote our Steve show tomorrow, White. but these people aren't going to. Anybody hearing this is not going to hear it in time for the show. No. No, they won't. No, they won't. Um, so anytime before a live show we've ever done. Steve always warms up for the show by roasting me right before every single show. <clears throat> and so whenever there's been a, an, an idea or somebody has said, hey, how about you roast Nick for one of your next roast uh, shows? It's always like, why? Steve's, uh, Steve does it before every show anyway. So anyway, asking me those questions. Um, <clears throat> I've always like, when it comes to doing things sexually with people, like I do have my preferences of things. Um, it, it's always it's always been a little like odd. It's mostly like I feel uncomfortable doing it, but there's also that biological imperative to do things. And so I've always gotten into it and I've always kind of done it. But at times you, that I've always wanted to do it as quickly as possible. Do you think that so you mentioned before uh-huh. um, that people who are on the spectrum mm-hmm. have a tendency to be more sexually fluid or uh, oh. more? Um, yeah, yeah. They, they tend to be, they're overrepresented when it comes to people who are uh, gender diverse or sexually oh, I diverse. Say overrepresented, but yes, it has to. So, gender fluidity. Well, when I say overrepresented, has I mean, tendency like, to happen more in the population of ASD people. Right. So, than be in the regular compared population. to, yeah, right. So, yeah. that's what I mean by overrepresentation. Yeah. I mean, there, there happens to be a lot more, let's call it diversity or variability when does it that, comes does to. Does that also include? That sexual kinks or fetishes yes yes it does so you you would do you think that there's more people who would for instance be into like so being a furry is not necessarily sexual but there is a sexual component to it for a lot of people but do you think 
yeah. uh, people like that or people who are into, I don't know, well, like so, foot fetishes, things like that so would be more often. Here's how I'm going to sum up all of it and kind of describe it is when it comes to folks on the spectrum, in my opinion, and from what I read and talked to people about, people on the spectrum happen to be far more, hold, hold on. <coughs> yeah, I still heard that. I know he did, but I turned off my mic just Nick so I could had sneeze. to turn his head so and say sneeze. a Jew really loud. <laughs> you I don't, dick. Just once in a while, right. he has to tame and temper right. his anti-Semitism. Right. <laughs> oh, so it only comes out in small right. pieces. By the way, he is so, wearing Yeezys today. If that helps his case, I don't know. I'm wearing what? Yeezys. It's a joke. What's like, Yeezys are like Kanye's Ye's shoes. Oh, oh, that guy's you know, shoes. He's, yeah, because oh, he's all, right. all the anti-Semitism. Oh, yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was all a joke. Right. So when it comes to people on a spectrum, we <laughs> have tendency to be, in my opinion, and also from what I've read and also uh, from meeting people who are on the spectrum, we have tendency to be far more accepting, understanding, and exploratory when it comes to all things that might be enjoyable, all variations of things. So we from my estimation, we have tendency to be far more into trying things and not boxing ourselves into a place like others. So people on the spectrum are trisexual because they'll try anything. Really? You're going to go with that old school fucking joke of trisexual? <laughs> All right. No, like uh, I, I have found from talking to folks on the spectrum, uh, not always, but especially on our end of the spectrum. Yes, I'm going to use function language, high function side, or what used to be Asperger syndrome. Bigot. Uh, for Aspies, we have a tendency to be far more variable or, or varied when it comes to our sexual identities and when it comes to our sexual preferences. And even when it comes to our, our gender identities, we have a tendency to be far more fluid than, say, the normal folks. Do you think that the what I mentioned, the, the whole kink and fetish thing, yeah, yeah. that some of that might be related to the the fixation on certain things. So like if you are- Could be. Like Could be. autistic people tend to f hyper fixate on things. So if you're into something sexually, maybe you would hyper fixate on the one thing or the kink that you have. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. Although uh, I have heard something about, you know, this is interesting because this is more your territory than mine. Yeah. But there's a part of the brain um, that processes things that are disgusting. Yes. And- things that were repulsed by, like the smell of rotting flesh. Or, right, or the things were supposed to be. Right. It's also yeah. in the same area of the brain that uh, processes things that you're aroused by. Mm -hmm. And that that is a, an explanation, or supposedly an explanation for people who are into things that are kind of gross, yeah. is that there's a cross there between the part of the brain that's supposed to be disgusted, but instead that person's aroused by it. So, so for instance, like people who are into like, I don't know, um, anything that's considered disgusting well, I mean, by most people. I, I was just about to say, like, when it comes to that arousal piece, right, there's yep. a big difference between mental or cognitive arousal and physical arousal. Because physically, your body doesn't give a shit what the fuck it is. It's aroused by something. And arousal isn't necessarily a sexual thing. Your body just gets stimulated. I tried to tell that anything. to my camp counselor, but it didn't really seem to make a difference. Wow. He, he thought I was into him. that. God, I can't believe you didn't say Boy Scout leader. Jeez, um, he went camp counselor. So our bodies said I was physically don't it. care. Um, I, I think I read something once upon a time, or maybe I'm just talking about my ass. It could be both at the same time that there was a, a psychic experiment, a research study about uh, arousal itself, 
and they showed people images of both uh, heterosexual, homosexual acts and just in general sexual acts. And they tried to measure the body's reaction compared to what the person identified as uh, for their sexual identity. And what they found was that people got aroused by sexual acts, period. It didn't matter what kind. They were aroused, not necessarily equally, but they were still physically aroused by sexual acts. So in that regard, like if you think about that, based on just that idea alone, sexuality in a lot of ways is a preference of ours, who we choose to, right? And so me identifying as being bisexual, like I know full well I'm attracted to both men and women. I know I can be aroused sexually by both men and women, right? And But somebody who identifies as being heterosexual, that's in their mind. That's in their, their conception of who they are as a human being. That's not their physical body. Their physical body doesn't give a shit what fucking hole they put their dick into. Or for a woman, it doesn't matter who's playing with their clit. They're going to get aroused by it. Now, granted, somebody's going to argue and just be like, no, if, I'm, if a woman touched me, it's I'm in It's Adam man. and Eve, Nick, not Adam and Steve. But you are Steve. You, you are the third person in oh, that okay. equation. Apparently. So God created Adam, Eve, and Steve? Yeah, God created Adam, Eve, and you. And then they had, they had th- <laughs> weird three-way orgies in the, the Garden of Eden? I, I don't know if I want to go that far. <laughs> like, they'd start talking to so you you're t- and saying, just be you're like, telling nah, me that, good. that Eve had the, uh, the old Chinese finger trap maneuver done to her? You said finger trap. And that's uh, why she needed the uh, to eat the apple afterwards. It was Well, like, I mean, maybe maybe Steve was into Adam. And so uh, it wasn't a finger trap situation. It was more of like, you and know. And God was like, all right, well, this isn't going to work. Either, so yeah. uh, we need Eve here so you guys can uh, make more more Steves. Right, right. Okay. Maybe it was a matter of like Adam and Steve had the relationship and Eve was just there for practical life. For doing like the dishes species. and the laundry. Right, 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 right. <laughs> and only when the one of them was and off hunting, they so had we, some hold. When I looked in, at right? our uh, statistics, the majority of our listeners were female. But after that comment, I don't know if they're going to be. Yeah, we just lost all viewership right there. It's yeah. all right. I occasionally say sexist things. My girlfriend appreciates it, even though she knows. Okay. I'm and to be honest with you, anybody who just heard him say that, she actually does laugh at it. And she really does kind of like enable him to say sexist shit. But because she knows I don't actually mean it. Right. I mean, you don't you are not actually sexist, even though anybody who's ever talked to you would think you're sexist, racist, bigoted and homophobic. But he's none of those things in reality. It's just fun to pretend. Really? Would we describe it as fun to pretend? So when I like, for instance, if I if I make a joke where I'm saying something that's bigoted, I'm usually mocking the bigot. Right. You are. So like, that's the joke. So, for instance, um, I don't remember exactly what the context was, but I made a joke once and I actually offended somebody who was Spanish and I made a joke about saying, we speak English here or something like that. Right. But when I said that joke, I wasn't, obviously I wasn't being sincere, at least it was obvious to me. I was making fun of people who actually say things like that yeah. sincerely, but the, it was lost on the person because I got offended and right. thought I was being serious. So I'm like, no, if I was being serious, why did I do the weird accent? Right. Like I wouldn't do a weird voice if I was being serious and like we speak English. So so I want to ask you because you've asked me and obviously I've just been talking about sexual acts and my fucking issues or non-issues with them. Uh, let me ask you, like, have you had issues being intimate or, or doing um, sexual acts? I think for a long time, in order for me to have sex with somebody, I had to be intoxicated. How come? Um 
for a comfortability thing. Like I, I get kind of anxious. Okay. Or what was it because you were naked with them? Was it because it was a sexual act? Well, when or? I, when I was younger, I was always, uh, I was very sexually conservative. Like I wanted to, sorry, what does that mean? So initially when I first started dating, I wanted to try to like wait till marriage before I had sex, which didn't happen because I had sex when I was 16. But oh, yeah, but I didn't I was, you know, I had this idea that I was just going to wait and then find one person, stay Mm -hmm. with them. This, you know, naive thinking that I I will say I never once in my life had that thought. Um, And so whenever I did have sex with somebody, I thought it was a big deal. Yeah. And so for me, it wasn't just sex. It was like a a big thing. Mm-hmm. And if I did have a sexual relationship with somebody and the relationship didn't work out, I always felt more hurt when it ended because okay. I was, I felt like I was being vulnerable with that person. And for right. me, sex was more of a big deal, I guess, which is why I didn't really sleep around as much as you did. Um, I, yeah, I guess I was more of a, I wouldn't say I was a prude per se, but I was like, I would, I was more, I, I was reluctant to just have sex with, anybody and in fact a lot of the women that i was with were often the aggressors not to say that i was never the aggressor because a lot of times i did initiate sex you're with saying aggressor women. can you say when i say aggressor i mean like they want to initiate yeah the sex more assertive because saying aggressor somebody's going to hear you and be like were you raped i mean no, i was but uh, not by your former partners oh okay jesus all right so so um as you described that okay yeah. as you described your conservativeness it sounded more like, so if I removed your gender from it, it sounded more like the stereotypical way that women have tendency to explain that. Yeah. I mean, but I was also uh, about sexual intercourse. I grew up with two women. So maybe that plays into it because I, I, I don't know. I mostly grew up with my mom being, well, you know, influence. you're the one who always talks about socialization. I do. And like, uh, I tend to believe that the way people behave and the, the person they become is a mixture of nature and nurture. And in my opinion, you tend to downplay the nature part of it. Right. But what I'm talking about right now is the nurture part of it. I'm saying that I spent a lot of time around um, two girls growing up. Right. Not that my dad was not around at all, but he wasn't in the picture as much. Mm-hmm. And so like there were certain things that he did with, which were the stereotypical like masculine or manly ways to do things. Right. And like, I used to get embarrassed when I saw him. Uh, if he looked at a woman or if he checked out a woman or he made a comment about a woman, mm-hmm. her body or something, it made me feel uncomfortable. Like, so yeah, for instance, I when too. I was a kid, my when I was like maybe 12 or 13, my dad once took me, take, uh, he took me to a Hooters once and I felt so uncomfortable that we ended up leaving the restaurant and going somewhere else. We didn't uh, eat there. I, I didn't have necessarily <clears throat> that strong of a reaction, but I always felt very uncomfortable looking at women too. I mean, I did it. But I felt uncomfortable about it and almost shameful to even look in the direction of a beautiful woman or a woman I found attractive. It was more so what I was talking about is him making comments. Oh. Other men, other men like. Yeah, I have a problem with other men making comments. about. So like too. if I was with a guy and he's like, oh, check out her tits like that to me would be like, uh, yeah, make me feel uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't mind if uh, a male or a female friend points out that they see somebody who they find attractive. But yeah, when it gets specific to the point of like, look at the butt on her, I'm always like, we don't need that. Nobody needs yeah, that. It used to make me feel uncomfortable when people did that kind of stuff around me. But I didn't know if maybe part of that was growing up with two women. Uh-huh. Uh, so maybe I was more empathetic to, you know, to, 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 I didn't grow up around guys acting like pigs all the time. So maybe that was 
why i don't know i mean i didn't necessarily grow up with men being like that either necessarily um but you're saying that i I was trying to to explain or give a reason why maybe i was um more sexually reserved okay or the way that i treated sex did that sustain as you got older um kind of Okay. I mean, well, I definitely right now. How are you nowadays? I got. I. I mean, I opened up a lot more, and in fact, for a, like a period of time when I was in my mid to late twenties, I started sleeping around a little more, like having okay. casual sex. But yeah. I didn't. I still was very weird about it. Uh huh. Like, I had even even with the casual encounters I had, they were not like one night stands. They were people that I was sleeping with for. A period of time and right. i would usually only do it with one person at a time it wasn't right. like i was sleeping with three girls at once it was sleeping with one girl for a while in a casual relationship mm-hmm. um i never really i've only done uh, maybe one or two one night stands yeah because for me i the couple times i did do it i felt kind of dirty afterwards oh made me feel shame oh. i felt weird about doing it something about um just putting myself out there and being with a person sexually mm that one time and then never talking to them again like that to me felt gross i don't know why i can't really explain it but it made me feel dirty maybe it made me feel like shitty about myself yeah, yeah. made me feel like i was degrading myself or made me feel like i was um and, and uh, some people would agree with that feeling um i i think probably more people would feel would agree <laughs> with the way you're describing that more so than not agree with it um i always felt that when I engaged with somebody sexually, whether it's a one night stand or just a few times, we were both getting what we wanted out of it, out yeah. of the arrangement. And and so I kind of chalked it up to that, right? I just, uh, I mean, it wasn't like the girls that I had one night stands with didn't know what was going on. So like they right. knew what, it, what was going on. It was yeah. just, I still felt weird about it. I don't know. I, I never had that feeling. And that doesn't mean you're weird or odd or anything like that. I just don't necessarily relate with that moment. Um, I mean, I was always described as being a serial monogamist. And in fact, one of the first people who ever called me a serial monogamist was my mother. Um, but I've always kind of been a serial monogamist. I mean, I, yeah, I, I mean, really I guess that would be the same in, way. Yeah, really <clears> like I've had a lot of short relationships. I've had a few long-term relationships, but yeah. I also had a lot of small relationships that only lasted for like you know, one to four or five months, right. which I would call a short relationship, you know, yeah. lasted less than a year. Right. I, I, I agree. Like to me, uh, a relationship is anything after 12 months, anything shorter than that, like not that big of a deal. Um, I mean, spending nine months or 10 months with somebody is a good period of time. It's just, yeah, you're not even really past the courting phase of a relationship anyway, at that point. It's just in retrospect, understanding, um, you know, back then I didn't know that I was on the spectrum. So as I got yeah. older, a lot of the things that I did that probably like the things that I did that contributed to those relationships not working out mm-hmm. are more apparent to me now. Right. Whereas back then I had no fucking clue. I just thought something was wrong with me or that I <laughs> yeah. was unlovable. So I blame yep. myself for it all the time. Like, oh, something was wrong with me. Um, actually, I would switch back and forth. Yeah. I would switch back and forth either all or nothing. Uh-huh. It was... I was wrong. Something wrong with me. I hate myself. I felt depressed. Or I would switch it and I would feel the opposite. And I was like, well, I'm correct. Everything about me is right. They're wrong. They're the ones who are fucked up. They just don't appreciate me and understand what like what, what a great person I am. And I was also, 
don't know if this contributes to it, but I mean, when I was, when I was a teenager, I was diagnosed with bipolar, but I've never been on medication or anything. Well, I was for a short period of time in high school, but I not currently a medication for it. And I don't have nearly as, as bad of a swing as you do as far as ups and downs, but I do go through extreme highs and lows. Mm -hmm. I tend to be more low, but when I go through those high periods, I get very um, full of myself. Yep. And I start to think that everyone else is a piece of shit. And yep. I'm basically God's gift to the world. Yeah. I'm that's, the I'm that's the right. best. I'm the smartest. Yep. I'm the most talented. Most capable. Everyone else is yep. fucking stupid. And it would be that way in relationships. So if like something ended at first, I would be upset. And then if I was switching to like more of a, a higher period, I would start to feel the opposite. Instead of feeling depressed or hating myself, I would feel like they're a fucking piece of shit. They just didn't appreciate me because of how fucking awesome I am and it's it's amazing how I can hate myself for six months and then go to kissing my own ass for a month or two after that. So for all of my bipolar friends out there, he did describe manic pretty well, didn't he? Didn't he? Especially you hypomanic out there. He absolutely described it pretty well. Well, that's how I used to, I still feel that way sometimes, but it's just not as bad. But I go through periods of time where uh, I'll feel... But I don't act on it. But I'll go through periods of time where I feel like telling all of you guys to fuck off. Yeah. When I say you guys, I mean you and the rest of my friends or people that we do comedy with. Right. Sometimes I'm just like, you know what? Fuck all these people. I don't need them. I can do better than all of you. I know. And I call you on that shit every time. Just like you should call me on it, but you never do. And I, um, get, dude, I feel the same way at times. I, I, I will have times where I'm like, what in the fuck am I dealing with all these people who just can't fucking do this shit? Well, part of it is because I can't do it on my own. And I know that. It also causes more self-doubt sometimes because I don't know whether I'm, if if my judgment is sound or if it's not. I think now that I'm older, it's typically more sound because I'm, I scrutinize my thoughts a bit more. But, yeah, so do I. Um, I scrutinize your thoughts more too. <laughs> I don't know. Like, so for instance, <clears throat> I can't ever tell if something I do is good. Because people will tell me it's good, but a lot of times people aren't always honest. So, it, like, sometimes I'll feel like I did something good, but I'm like, is this me just being too cocky or too confident, or am I actually good? Because my default is typically to doubt myself. And um, I know it's interesting. Typically, one thing that people say is uh, the higher intelligence someone has, like the smarter someone is, mm-hmm. uh, they're typically full of more self-doubt. And you heard of, like, the Dunning-Kruger effect? Nope. Well, maybe, but Dunning Kruger effect is a. It's actually, I'm pretty sure it's a psych term, but of course, I know all psych terms. Uh, well, I just yeah, thought you were it. in encyclopedia. But maybe somebody listening to you're us an autistic guy who's in the psych. I figured you would know like every term. Anyway, Dunning Kruger effect. Every, but I do know quite a lot. Dunning Kruger effect doesn't necessarily apply to just base intelligence, but it applies to knowledge in a particular subject. So basically, the Dunning Kruger effect is like when you start out doing something that you don't know. Mm-hmm your confidence and your ability to do that thing is very low. But Mm -hmm. as you start to gain a little bit of knowledge, your confidence level jumps up to a point where you're typically way more confident than you should be. So for instance, let's say I'm an amateur. um, uh, I'll use myself as an example. So when I started video editing, right? Uh When I started video editing and once I got the basics down and I started being able to do decent video editing, I thought I was fucking awesome. I could edit anything and I was really amazing at it. But then the Dunning-Kruger effect is like a bell curve. Uh-huh. You hit a point where you um, you think you're fucking awesome and you're amazing and you're an amateur, right? But you think you're really good. And then as you start to learn more, 
the more knowledge and the better you get at something, <clears throat> your confidence level starts to drop again because you realize how much there is that you don't know. Dude, you're literally describing everybody learning anything. Right, but that, they, they call that effect, they call it the Denning-Kruger oh, effect, I which is- No, that's what it's called. Um, people tend to have this um, undeserved confidence yes. when they start learning something because they feel like they know everything. Right, we but get, get kind of good at something and we go, oh shit, I'm great at this. Right. And then we figure out but that then, there's way more to learn. Like if you start playing basketball yeah. and you get pretty decent at it, but right. then you realize that there's so much about basketball you don't fucking know. Right. So like people who are the best in a given sport yeah. or the best in a given field mm -hmm. often are full of self-doubt because they know how much there is that they don't know or how much there is that they're not masters right. at yeah. yet. Even though they're better than most people. I, I think we all go through that. And you're saying we do, right? Right. It's yeah. it's it's a rule or it's it's a human behavior thing. Right. Like, like humans tend to do this and that's why it's a bell curve. Like yeah. you have this... Um, unearned sense of confidence when you start right. getting decent at something, you feel like you're a fucking amazing, and so, then uh, so I tend to trail off. That, I wonder, I wonder if anybody's ever tried to measure that effect on people who are autistic or even on who have well, any mental I, health disorder. I don't remember why I was bringing it up. Now I was talking about intelligence, yes, for some reason. But all right, so you had a point behind that, but yeah. in explaining what the effect is, you lost the yeah. point. I was talking about intelligence, nice, and. You were talking about getting good at something. Oh, uh, yeah. No, I was talking about intelligence and how. Um, so people who are high functioning autism tend to uh -huh. have a Aspies. higher. Yeah, they tend to have a higher IQ. Yes. And maybe a lower EQ. Yes. If you, or at least that's the way they describe it. Yeah. yeah, I'm just using those terms because they're easy to understand. Yep. Because I think you can argue that EQ and IQ aren't necessarily real things, kind of. But Sure. Totally different show, but yes. But IQ. People who are on the spectrum tend to have a higher IQ, like high functioning people. Or at people. least our side of it, yeah. Um, Actually, I can't say just our side of it because it's really hard to discern somebody's oh. you know level of intelligence when they're just scripting all. So the I time. remember my point now. My point <laughs> oh, was, was point? is that uh, people who are intelligent, yeah, tend to doubt themselves a lot more than people who are not as intelligent. Yes, and so I'm not saying that I'm a fucking genius by any measure. But by other people and by peers, I've always be, been considered by people to be someone who's intelligent. Yes. And I constantly doubt myself or even if it's something that I'm um, that other people think I'm talented at, mm -hmm. I have a hard time accepting that something I do is good. And then when I do feel like I did something good, I'm like, is this just me being cocky or being um, full of myself? Or if I'm going through like a manic period, All is right. this me? being overconfident because I'm going through a high period where I just think I'm the shit. Right. And I have to question it. I feel like I can't ever just accept that I did something well. I I guess I'm kind of the same way in, in ways. I actually let <clears> other <throat> people decide whether I'm good or bad at something. I, I try nowadays, especially, I, I don't even bother putting thought towards if I'm good at something or not. I just kind of do stuff. And if somebody wants to think I'm good at it, great. And if they think I'm bad at it, whatever. It happens the same way for me um, because of my periods of highs and lows, like depending on what episode I'm in depends on how I'm going to evaluate it. And so if I'm wicked hot, if I'm manic, if I'm in one of my hypomanic episodes, I'm going to think everything I'm doing is as good as it's going to get. Right. Nobody's going to be able to do it faster or better or more efficiently than me. I'm going to figure out things nobody else can figure out with this. And none of it's none of that's true. But then when I'm depressed. I'll think everything I'm doing is absolute garbage and shit, 
even though I'm putting the same level of work and effort into something and I'm getting the same result out of it, I will still evaluate it that way. So I stopped listening to my own thought process, my own feelings about it. And I let other people decide. I think there's, there's, there's truth in the old adage of ignorance is bliss. Oh yeah. Oh, very much so. And sometimes I wish I didn't know things that I know because yep. I feel like I would just be less anxious sometimes and maybe less depressed at times. I feel like life would be easier if but I was be dumber. The same life. It wouldn't be the same life that you have. If now. I was dumber, I feel like I would be more I would be happier. And in fact, I'm pretty sure there's studies that show that people who are less intelligent uh-huh. tend to be happier or more content. Right. I would probably I think agree with that. There's higher levels of anxiety and depression among people who are smarter. Probably. And I completely agree that that's probably a thing. Um, not that I've ever read any studies or anything that actually said that. I, but maybe, I maybe next time we too, we can delve into the what I was related to anxiety and depression. I yeah. wanted to ask you about uh, dopamine and um, uh, social media and yeah. about things that are I think are contributing to, to things like that. But we can get into that another time. That'd be wonderful. And actually let me study a little bit before I have the conversation. So maybe right. I can cite something for so Nick, real, opposed if, to my own opinion. I think it's time for a joke that's going to get us canceled before we go. Dude, dude we, we're only at, we're not quite at two hours. You want to go to two hours? Well, I mean, two episodes, right? We're going to do separate recording for that. Oh, uh, we don't have time to do another one. Wait, actually. Yeah, we do. It's 5.05. All right. So local time, 5.05. You. Yeah. Here's a joke for you. Okay. That's going to get us canceled. That's fine. What is the hardest part about being a pedophile? What? Fitting in. Jesus. (laughs) Jesus. That's the joke you've been waiting to say for the last 40 minutes? I thought it was hilarious. It is. I'm just thinking somebody just heard you say that joke. Yeah, it's fucked up. I don't know if I could tell pedo jokes if I'm going to get canceled on Spotify. I don't think they give a shit. Isn't Joe Rogan on Spotify and they didn't cancel him? Although he he is the most widely listened to podcast in the world. This episode is brought to you by Ivermectin. (laughs) and hydrochloroquine no please no all right all right well i think it was fun i I think so too it was a good conversation man um uh so just to reiterate from before if you are on one of those services where you can put a comment put any comment you would like if you like the show let us know if you don't like the show let us know what but if you're going to tell us what you don't like about it please specify what you don't like about it don't put the little hand emoji of the middle finger up don't put that actually if you do put that just put a sentence afterward that's like you people fucking suck because i don't like you or whatever you want to say but if you have a question about anything we said or if you'd like to ask us a question about who we are or what we do please drop a uh, comment in as well as make some suggestions for other topics that we can talk about. Yeah, what he said. And also to reiterate, we are not experts in a single thing in life. In fact, we're only experts at one thing each, and that's who we are. And that's all we're experts at. Uh, although we are about to try to wrap up because we've like got an outro improv written comedy by Mr. rehearsal Rogers. that we've got to do tonight. We've got to run an improv comedy group tonight. All right, Mr. Rogers, thank you. Oh, won't you be my neighbor? All right. Why did I put a Southern accent on Mr. Rogers? I don't know. He didn't have a Southern accent. All right. It's time to stop recording. Yeah, all right. I'm going to leave that in, too. All right. Bye, everybody.